Hi, I'm Len Epp from LeanPub, and in this LeanPub podcast, I'll be interviewing Pete Jaworski. Pete is a self-taught developer with experience in Rails and Android, and a specific interest in software security. Peter, Pete enjoys passing on what he's learned to others in his published YouTube tutorials, and he is currently the lead developer at DailyLearns.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Jaworsk, and you can check out his website at www.torontowebsitedeveloper.com. Pete is the author of the LeanPub book, Web Hacking 101, How to Make Money Hacking Ethically. His book is focused on demonstrating real-world examples of security vulnerability reports that resulted in bug bounties and specifically on becoming an ethical hacker and using the skills you learn to do good in the world, making the internet safer both for users and for companies. In this interview, we're going to talk about Pete's professional interests, his book, his experience using LeanPub, and ways we can improve LeanPub for him and other authors at the very end. So thank you, Pete, for being on the LeanPub podcast. Yeah, no worries. Thanks very much for having me. Oh, it's, it's our pleasure. Um, I uh, always start uh, these interviews by asking people for their origin story. Um, so I was wondering if you could tell me how you got into web development in the first place and how you made your way into the security scene. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. Um, so I guess in terms of web development, um, you know, I've always liked programming. I've always liked computers and kind of I fell out of it in high school and, um, you know, went on to university and did a master's degree. And when I got out, I was working in the public sector and uh, government here in Ontario. And uh, one of the projects that we had was a web development for, I guess, what they were calling at the time Web 2.0. And so it was kind of, you know, groundbreaking for government to do this. And so I was working on the policy side of that. Um, so we had developed this project and it was my first introduction to Drupal. And so from there, I just kind of got into Drupal, realized kind of what the world of web development looked like um, and started trying to learn as much as I could. From there, I just kind of started developing sites on the side. Um, one thing led to another and I got a small, I took a leave of absence from the government for a gig at a startup in Toronto. Um, and then with a baby on the way, looking for a little bit more stability. So I uh, went back to government. And when I did that, uh, I happened to read at the same time a book about Anonymous um, and kind of what they had done. And I always had an interest in, in security, especially coming from uh, the developer standpoint. And at the time, I was also taking a look at Coursera sites. And so there happened to be one on security. And things kind of just kind of fell into place. Uh, one thing led to another where took the course, read the book, started looking around, and I came across uh, BugCrowd, which is a, uh, a platform for hackers, essentially, and they have a forum there. And so I was going through the forum, and somebody had referenced the HackerOne platform, which is another bug bounty platform, and HackerOne keeps a hacktivity, or what they call a hacktivity, and it's a list of all these public disclosures of people who have found vulnerabilities on websites. And for me, that was it was just a treasure chest of information. And, and that was kind of my first step into uh, hacking. I, I kind of learned what SQL injections were, cross-site scripting, all that kind of stuff, how you execute them, uh, find them. And uh, yeah, it took off from there. And um, what was your master's degree in? Uh, public administration. Oh, okay. Did you do that at the University of Ottawa? Uh, University of Queens. Oh, Queens. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Um, uh, that's a really cool path. Um, I've uh, interviewed lots of people who kind of make their way into web development from something completely different, but never from the world of um, public policy. So that's that's really <laughs> fast, really fascinating. Um, I was wondering. I, there's uh, there's a lot that we can talk about, of course. I mean, the you know ethical hacking, hacking security, and stuff like that. But I was wondering if you could explain a little bit, maybe, about what a what a bounty is. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, a bounty, I guess, for lack of a better term, it, it's a payment for finding a bug on a website. Um, and that bug is, is typically security related. Um, so big sites, little sites, uh, kind of all shapes and sizes uh, will uh, either offer their own platform, uh, which typically you don't see unless it's a big site like Google. Um, I think PayPal offers their own as well. Um, but then you have other sites that will use a platform like HackerOne or BugCrowd. Uh, I guess there's also a couple other, I should be fair, Cobalt. Um, and the fourth one is escaping me. Synac, I think, is uh, it's a quasi-bug uh, platform. But anyways, they'll use these platforms, kind of set up um, a program, and they'll have a defined scope. So it'll tell you, you know, we want you to hack on, uh, you know, maybe our core website or any domain that we have, Um and they'll kind of open the door and say, you know, hackers, come check us out. Now, sometimes it's a private program where you get invited uh, based on your previous experience. Um, and sometimes it's not. Some pay, some don't. Uh, but the whole idea is if you find something and they pay, you get what's referred to as a bug bounty. And uh, what's the biggest bug bounty that you've um, ever earned? <laughs> I think my biggest payment was 25K. Uh, or sorry, not 25. That sounds a lot worse. Or a lot bigger. Yeah, 2,500. So 2,500. And I happened to get that from the HackerOne platform itself. Okay. Okay. Um, I've got a question about that. Is it ethical for someone, if you find, if you discover a vulnerability, say on a website, to email like the administrator of the website and say, hey, I found something, pay me? Yeah. Well, I would say I would leave out the pay me part. Um and even the, the question of finding stuff is, is again, lack of a better term, questionable. Um, so I can tell you I, I've done it, um, and it's not always – sometimes, uh, you know, I'm a little bit hesitant to do it just because there have been experiences where people have gone and hacked on a site and companies don't take it well, um, especially if there happen to be kind of the malicious people that are out there at the same time. So – if you happen to be looking at something and you happen to do something that a malicious person is doing, it could be misinterpreted as you doing what they've done. So um, I guess to, to answer your question, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. I definitely wouldn't recommend, hey, I found a bug, pay me. Great. Yeah, that, thanks for that. That's a really clear answer and what I'm, what I'm glad to hear. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, uh, when I was looking at your book, I was reminded for some reason of one of my favorite shows from the 80s, which was Magnum P.I. I don't know how many of our listeners will remember that. But at the very beginning of the very first episode of Magnum P.I., he's breaking in to the compound. Um, and you don't learn until afterwards that he's been paid to break in, right, to discover security vulnerabilities. And he actually in the show gets into computers a little bit as well eventually. But um, there's this great scene when he's trying to break into the Ferrari, his iconic Ferrari, and uh, Higgins, the sort of major domo, has sent the dogs after him. And Magnum has this moment where he's like, don't look at the dogs, don't look at the dogs, don't look at the dogs. And he's just got to focus on getting into the car. And I was wondering if if web hacking is, has any analogies to that, where like you've got to like really stay focused on one part of what you're doing when something might be coming at you from another direction. Yeah, that's, that's a really cool analogy. Um... And it, it kind of resonates. Um, I don't know if I've never necessarily been chased by the dogs, but um, I can tell you from the, the what I refer to as the ethical, the white hat perspective, um, 
that focus is definitely there. Um, and so I, I've been lucky enough to see some hackers uh, working on sites. And one of the things that I've, I've recognized that I need to focus on is kind of that, just lack of a better term again, that, that focus, that kind of resiliency. Um, especially when you, you see something that you know that isn't right um, and that could potentially be a vulnerability. Um, for me, at least, when I'm working on a, when I'm working on a site, you know, sometimes it's tough. You, you, you know, you put in 30, 30 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, two hours, and you don't see anything that looks like it could be um, potentially exploitable. And so then you start thinking about, well, what am I doing with my time? And at least for me, I guess I can't speak for others. Um, it starts really becoming a mind, a mind game where it's, you know, should I keep going? Should I not keep going? What's going on? Should I do this? Should I change targets? Whereas some guys who are very successful, I just see them, you know, they'll sit down an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, might not find anything. And then all of a sudden something clicks and they do find something. Um, so I don't know if it entirely answers the question, but um, yeah. No, yeah. No, no, that's really interesting. I, it was a question about, yeah, the internal workings of what it's like when you're in the midst of this. And that's a really good answer. Um, I was wondering what the, um, if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about what the worst vulnerability is that you've ever found. I mean, worst can be interpreted in various ways, but I guess like most potentially damaging to the company. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely don't mind. Um, you know, I guess the, the one that comes to mind was actually really recent. Um, unfortunately, I can't name the, the program because it's a private program and uh, they still haven't fixed it. Um, but I, I mean, once the public, I'll probably disclose it because I want to include it in my book. But um, I found a couple of things. So one, I was able to, they have a registration process. Um, and when you register um, and you verify your, your account, they have this login process, which eventually redirects you to a URL that includes a user ID in it. And so I, as I was watching this traffic, I decided to try to change that user ID. So let's say I was user 123. Um, I, I used a proxy, which is something that can intercept your traffic. So I stopped the request before it actually got to the site. And I said, instead of being user 123, I want to be user 122. And I, I passed it forward to the website, and sure enough, I was logged in automatically as user 122 and had access to their full account. Oh, my. And yeah, so that's what's called an insecure direct object reference in IDOR. Um, and those are kind of fun to find because they can be pretty devastating. Um, other, web, other vulnerabilities I found, um, actually on that same site, I was able to delete all images um, from the site. Um, and I've also found some fun ones are when you find information disclosure. So um, on another site, I happened to find um, a user object. Uh, so with that, they would rather than just return, say, a username uh, and a first name, last name, they would actually take the full object. Uh, so you might have a whole bunch of properties on there, 10, 20 properties, uh, and they would return that in the response. Uh, so you wouldn't see it on the website, but if you looked at the traffic, you would see their account information, you would see their phone number, you would see all kinds of personal information. So, oh my, those sound, those sound pretty bad. Um, those are fun. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about what the white hat um, hacker community is like. And um, you were mentioning to me before we started the interview that you were at something called DEF CON last week in Las Vegas. And, and I should mention, it's probably implicit in one or two of the questions that I've asked, but um, uh, 
Pete is in, you're based in Toronto, that's right, in, in Canada? Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and yeah, he was in Vegas last week for this DEF CON conference. And yeah, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm actually, I guess it's kind of a shameless plug, but I'm going to be writing up a, a blog post on it as well, because uh, it was an incredible experience. Um, so I was lucky enough to um, be sponsored to go by a company who offered to bring me out um, as a kind of like a new and upcoming hacker. I wasn't one of their top uh, hackers, but um, I guess they saw some potential in what I had reported, so they offered to bring me out. And so I got out there, and I had known, I guess I have a, I guess I know a fair number of people in the community. And so I had never met anybody face-to-face, and when we did, it was, honestly, it was, it was such a tight-knit community, like, everyone was welcoming, everyone's really cool, everyone is insanely smart. Um, I, I can't speak highly enough for the people that I met. I really, I didn't have a bad experience with anybody there. Um, so, yeah, it's actually, it's, it's a really tight-knit community. Um, but at the same time, uh, like somebody new could walk in tomorrow. Um, like, I guess, throw a shout-out to my friend Kev, who is in Vegas. He and I had never met. Um, but he kind of started bug bounties when I started them. And um, we had chatted back and forth and talking about different vulnerabilities and stuff that we worked on. And so when I got out to Vegas, he came to the hotel kind of right away. And we hit it off, and we went to the Hacker One party together. And um, he just absolutely killed it when he was there. There was a couple events that Hacker went through for hacking. And uh, he walked in as kind of an unknown. And I think he came in second place in the hacking that we did there. So um, all that to say, um, it's not like it's a closed community. Um, I'm relatively new. Uh, Kev was new. But, um, yeah, it's all just kind of if you're good, you kind of share what you know, you're kind of open. Everybody seems to reciprocate that type of uh, atmosphere. And if you're thinking of joining this community, where would the, where would you go as the first step? Yeah. Um, so uh, as I mentioned, there's, there's hacker one and then there's bug crowd. Um, I'm not as active on bug crowd as I probably should be or want to be. Um, but those two platforms are probably the best place to go. Um, and you can check out the programs that are there and start reading through kind of what people have found. So HackerOne has the Hacktivity, which is HackerOne slash Hacktivity. And then BugCrowd has their forums, which also has some disclosures there as well. And those are great places to start because it's open information about what people have found. Um, and then from there, you know, I mean, I guess as bad as it sounds, Twitter is actually a great space for it. Um, so when you start seeing the people that are disclosing vulnerabilities on, say, HackerOne, uh, you know, they typically have their Twitter profile uh, associated with that on HackerOne. So you can check them out, start following them, and you'll start to see the, the kind of conversation that goes in and around the community on different things. Uh, people posting blogs about stuff that they found, explaining bugs that they found. Um, yeah, so that's probably the best. And then shameless plug, you want to check out my book. <laughs> oh yeah, and go ahead, plug away. Um, web hacking um, uh, at, at LeanPub. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I was wondering specifically. I mean, obviously, you know, people in the community get together for conferences and things like that and collaborate around things online. But uh, it's just a very specific question: do do people ever work in pairs or in teams to exploit vulnerabilities or to sort to discover vulnerabilities? I should probably say. 
Yeah, they definitely do. Um, I I don't have as much experience with it. Um, it's definitely something that I want to do. Um, and actually coming out of DEF CON, I made, I made a few good friends that uh, we've stayed in contact and we've kind of opened up our own chat uh, so that we can do that. We can stay together and we can kind of work through things. But I know the two of them, uh, the, out of the four that uh, we are now, um, they submitted stuff together when they were at DEF CON and they're working through uh, because the companies asked for kind of a more concrete proof of concept uh, of a hack to be actually exploitable. Um, but then, yeah, yeah, there's I know of a whole bunch of other guys that uh, uh, do hack together and have uh, found vulnerabilities together. Yeah, it definitely happens. Um, I only know about this subject mostly from, you know, the tech press and things like that. But I was wondering if there was any discussion or if you at the conference or if you have a particular opinion of your own about the future of passwords. Are we going to be using passwords in still in 10 years or will there be some kind of facial recognition or some other or two factor authentication everywhere or some some sort of addition to or alternative to password use? Hmm, that's a that's a good question. Um, I mean, if I was completely honest, I, I probably haven't given it my thought. Um, I can tell you that I think 2FA, two-factor authentication, can definitely be improved by a lot of sites. Uh, I tend to like to look at it um, and try to hack on it. I'm actually working through a proof of concept for it now uh, that I'll be finishing up after this interview. Um, so, I mean, to kind of answer the question, uh, I... I... I think OAuth might be the way to go, um, where you know maybe you have a couple sites that are kind of you know considered locked down, and you use them and you log in through them. Um, there's also kind of the idea of the you know, one password, single password that uh, in that service happens to store um, all of your passwords and kind of be locked down as well. But I guess recently before DefCon there was. Uh, uh, a couple of hackers looking at those and finding vulnerabilities. So I, I really don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the future holds. It'll be interesting for sure. Either way, I'm sure someone will find a way to break into whatever it is that comes along. Yeah, well, uh, that's that's kind of the thing, right? I mean, I, I know I have a friend who's got a very strong opinion about, um, for example, uh, online voting um, in, in like, I mean, I mean, for like, you know, federal government elections. Um, and uh, his opinion is that we should we should never do it. Because anything can be exploited, um, uh, you know, if it's an electronic voting machine, um, or at least if it's if it's a you know kind of done over computers and the internet and that kind of thing. Um, do you have have you thought about that? Do you have an opinion about like you know is there a, a threat to democracy there, or is the is the is the risk outdone potentially by the reward of having more people vote more often? I mean, I I like to think that technology offers us a lot of solutions, a lot of convenience. Um, I don't know that I would necessarily, I guess there's a broader scale if you open it up to technology that there's potential for uh, exploitation. But at the same time, there's also um, uh, quite a number of means to, to track that and monitor that. Um, there's also a lot of smart people that work with technology, right? Um, so I think either way, Systems can always be broken, whether they're manual or electronic. In terms of putting it online, I, I would be a proponent of that. I would say um, I like the use of digital services. And in terms of that kind of, you know, it can always be exploited or someone will be out there. 
open it up to us hack uh, or us ethical guys and let us take a look and see what's there and, and report it. Um, you know, that's a good way to plug some holes. Yeah. One thing um, I'm curious about is uh, what your setup is like. Do you have like a, as a hacker, do you have like a special type of computer or do you use special types of it, like instruments of any kind? Yeah, I really wish I had a cool answer for that. But <laughs> no, you know, um, when I was when I was doing the web development, one of the things that I liked to do was record video tutorials because I found that teaching others, and this is actually why I got written, I got into the book, was teaching others helped me solidify what I was learning. And so, uh, when I was doing that, one of the things that I invested in early was a computer that I could kind of do video editing and, and that kind of thing on. So. Um, it's nothing special, but I think I have, uh, which doesn't sound as crazy now as it did when I bought it, but like 32 gigs of RAM, um, a great video card, two monitors. Um, again, it all kind of sounds, uh, kind of standard now, but that's pretty much it. Just, um, that. And then I, you know, typically in terms of software, I use burp suite, which is a proxy, which allows us to kind of intercept traffic, take a look at it. Usually have a virtual desktop setup so I can run Linux while I'm using Windows. Um, and then on my laptop, it's typically the same idea. I think I run Ubuntu on it, um, and I have Burp on there, and, and actually need a better laptop. But yeah, no, nothing nothing overly special. One, uh, I mean, there's, there's obviously a lot of kind of Hollywood around people's views about hackers, um, and one particular, uh, I think, narrative that people might have is of someone who kind of when they're very young, does something they very much should not have done. Um, and then later on, um, you know, turns to the good side and puts on the white hat. Um, have you ever met anyone who, who's gone through that? Or is that much rarer than people might think it is? No, I, I, yeah, actually, uh, coming from DEF CON, there were quite a number of people who have that story. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and I've, I've done some um, some pro tip interviews as well. Um, as I've tried to learn, I've been picking the brains of other hackers. And I think like recently I did one with Jason Haddix from bug crowd. Um, and if memory serves, he was, uh, so he's the technical director at bug crowd and, uh, he's a, he's an awesome guy. He did a presentation at DEF CON 23, which was last year on, um, he called it how to shot web. And so it was kind of, how do you become a successful hacker? And, uh, if memory serves from that interview, he started out doing some questionable things, um, and turned it around. Uh, and if I'm mixing that up, Jason, I, I apologize. <laughs> but uh, and then um, there's some other hackers that I talked to, some that I met at DefCon who had that experience. Um, one or two of them had some run-ins with law enforcement, and it really opened their eyes, and they quickly stopped that. Um, so yeah, no. But at, at the same time, I've talked to other guys who are very successful, who I think started hacking because their parents would lock them out of the internet after an hour or so, and so they wanted to get around that. So. Not everybody starts off on the dark side and comes over. That's funny. I, I uh, know a guy who ended up in design, not in hacking, but his first experience with technology was his um, parents trying to prevent him from watching cable. Um, That's right. And so he had this kind of running game, but it wasn't really a game, right, with his dad where he'd like, he'd figure out little like hardware hacks to get the cable working. And then his dad would see what he'd done and try and prevent that. And he'd have to come back and try a new a new workaround. So it's interesting that 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 experience like of being young and being blocked from something that you want to do can inspire this kind of, you know, desire to sort of get through. Um, oh, exactly. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, on, th- on that note, I guess I would be remiss if I didn't ask you something you probably are bored of being asked at the pub, but um, uh, how accurate is Mr. Robot, the TV show? Well, you know what? I, I wish I was asked that more. Actually, so I meant to, I, this is going to sound bad, but I actually, I haven't watched it. Um, and I've followed some conversations on Twitter and I can't think of who it is now, but um, the technical advice from that is provided by a hacker. And so from what I understand, it is uh, very accurate. But uh, yeah, okay. I, I, that's something I have to get into. It, it's tough when so I have a little one, so I don't have as much time to watch TV as I would have liked. And I meant to watch it on the flight to uh, DEFCON, but uh, mm. things didn't work out the way that I wanted them to. Uh, well, fair enough. I mean, you'll you'll really enjoy it when you when you get to it. Um, oh, nice. Uh, but yeah, thanks thanks for the uh, expert opinion, like uh, coming from you know people who would who would know. That's really really good to hear because it is it is just an amazing show. Um, uh, so uh, maybe moving on to your your book, um, shameless plug, uh, <laughs> uh, Web Hacking One Hundred and One: How to Make Money Hacking Ethically. Um, I was wondering if you could explain a little bit about uh, what the book is about and who it's for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So as I mentioned, I started it off as kind of a learning experience for me. Um, As I was learning to hack, there's there's a lot of technical stuff that's out there. And so uh, I've I've written it for people who are brand new to the scene, uh, who are kind of coming in and want to learn more. and so as I was working through that, I was reading reports and um, I would recommend everyone check out his blog because he does awesome work, uh, Igor Homakov. And uh, he was writing about some complex stuff and I couldn't follow it. I didn't know what was going on. And someone in the comments had said, you know, I've written a plain language explanation of what he's talking about. And that to me was a light bulb that went off. I was like, if I'm having this trouble and somebody else is having this trouble and they've written a blog, like, you know, an explanation of this. Maybe there are more people out there that want that. So uh, that was kind of my first step into writing the book. And originally what I had, what I had tried to do was just take 30 vulnerabilities and explain them in plain language. So somebody who was brand new to hacking could understand what was going on. Like what are the typical types of vulnerabilities that you find on a site? So what's cross-site scripting? What's SQL injection? Um, what are uh, HPP, or rather HTML parameter pollution, um, those kind of things. And in doing that, I had actually HackerOne reached out to me. Um, and they had found the book. And I think they, uh, Michael from HackerOne, one of the co-founders, was the first customer that I had. He bought it within, I think, an hour of it going live. And then their CEO reached out to me and was really interested. And so he kind of kept poking and prodding me and, and getting me to improve the book. And so it, it took off from there. And really the first half of the book is just explaining what the vulnerabilities are. And then after uh, HackerOne kind of pushed, poked, prodded, also contributed to the book, um, we expanded it. Uh, so I wrote about what a good report would look like if you're getting started and you're going to be reporting to a company, um, what that interaction should look like, what are terms you should know, what are tools you should use, um, and how you actually get started. I have a chapter there that I'll probably continue to improve uh, as I improve on what it looks like to get started, how you get started, and, and where you look and how to be successful. Yeah, I really enjoyed that story that you tell at the beginning of your book about how you had a kind of a couple of oh shit moments um, oh, when, yeah. when you had sort of, in a way, the best but kind of scariest thing that could happen 
where you yeah. publish your book and you get a customer, which is awesome. And then they're reaching out to you and it's an authority figure in the area that you're writing about. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, you know, it's not as bad now, but I definitely struggle a lot with the imposter syndrome. And uh, especially as you join like a new community and, and something that's established. So uh, the hacker community is obviously well established. And so to kind of step in there and start writing a book um, was a little bit nerve wracking for me. And so like uh, when Michael bought the book, I think he said, you know, great work, keep me updated type thing. And then Yobert, um, another co-founder there, he had written a post on Quora. And so I was following up with an answer and then I thought, oh man, I'm like, should I really do this? Um, and so I did that. And then, yeah, Martin's email to me was like, Hey, saw you writing the book. Would love to know more. <laughs> I was just like, Oh man, like I, I was, I was using content from their website. So I thought for sure it was going to be some kind of trouble, but no, it turned out he was a complete fan and wanted to really support it and support the community, which was awesome. Uh, and he did a lot. He actually paid for the cover. Uh, I should, I should mention that. Um, because before, and he called me out on a DEF CON. <laughs> It was not good. It, I think it was white with like a purple hat or white, something like that. It was, yeah. So. Oh, that's a fantastic story. Um, uh, yeah, and actually on that note, I was wondering, so um, how far along would you say the book was when you published the first version? Oh, from, from where I am now, um, comparatively, it was, it was really early stages. Um, so I think my first publication of it was I maybe had 20 vulnerabilities. And originally what I, all I wanted to do was just plain language, 30 vulnerabilities. So if you had bought the book, you would have an idea of kind of what those, those key vulnerability types were. Um, so if I was putting it in perspective, you know, it was maybe 20% done of where it is now. Oh, wow. That's yeah. And right now it, it says, I think 97% complete on the website. Um, yeah. So I, I imagine the, that does that mean you have like a few edits to make or another chapter or some more vulnerability? You've mentioned at least maybe one more vulnerability that you want to that you want to add. To be honest, um, the '97 is a bit of a misnomer. Like I, I really don't have, and that's one of the the great things that I like about LeanPub is I don't really have any plans to finish the book. Um, I like because I'm still learning. Uh, there's still new vulnerabilities out there. There's lots of stuff that I don't cover in there. Um, I plan to keep contributing to the book. And so, um, yeah, I, really that should just say kind of indefinite because uh, I'm just going to, yeah, I'm just going to keep adding to it. And I think that's one of the benefits that um, the guys, or I shouldn't say guys, but the, the people that have purchased the book um, like about it in that they get the lifetime updates. So uh, they make their one-time purchase and then they get notified whenever I make the changes. And so, it's to me, it's kind of I don't know. I guess I see it as a as a at least in the short term lifetime endeavor. Yeah, you do that. That's really fascinating. Um, you do. We 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 refer to that sort of as a living book. We don't yeah. refer to it formally anywhere like that. But but that's that's how we think of it internally. Um, uh, and um, yeah, I noticed also that you um include your email address in the introduction to your book, which is something that a lot of lean pub authors do. You know, asking for for feedback. And I was, I wanted to ask, is that something that people have been taking advantage of? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I, I, I was originally pretty hesitant about it, but you know, I've been pretty open in terms of my video tutorials and my website and getting in contact with me. And so, yeah, I threw it out there because I, I really want to hear from people. Um, and I do. I hear from a good a good number of people, and it's really interesting to hear their stories. Like When I was at DEF CON, I got a, uh, an email from a 37-year-old single mother who thanked me for the book and said it was awesome. She's learned a lot. Um, another guy reached out to me, you know, uh, developer of 12, 13 years, didn't know where to start with hacking, um, and has picked up the book and is now working away. Um, so it's, it's always awesome to get those kind of emails. I, I really appreciate what people do, and I do get um, a lot of people reaching out on Twitter as well. That's great. Um, I noticed also that there are already two translations of your book up, uh, one in on LeanPub, one in Russian and one in Arabic. And yeah. I wanted to ask how that happened. Um, yeah. Did, did, did the translators reach out to you? They did, actually. Uh, so the first one, um, Eugene, uh, who did the Russian translation, he had worked with another author on a Rails uh, book, and he translated for him. And he just said, hey, I'm really interested. I'm a big fan of the book. Um, I'd be interested in doing a translation if you wanted to. Here's kind of my experience. And so, yeah, we kind of ran with that. And it's been awesome. He's a phenomenal guy, doing a, a ton of great work. And so that was kind of our first step. And then same with the Arabic. Uh, somebody reached out to me on Twitter and said, big fan, um, I'd love to do some translation. And so he did the sample book, got it done quickly. Um, and the work was good. And so we just we took it from there. And now we're working through the, the full Arabic version. And uh, how did you find... Um uh, working with LeanPub, um, I, I imagine this is your first self-published book, and I wanted to know a little bit about how what the experience was like. Yeah, um, I mean, it's going to sound like I'm just kind of pumping your tires, but uh, I, I really enjoy working with the platform. Uh, it was it was a bit rocky for me at beginning, at the beginning, because I I wasn't familiar with Markdown. Okay, and so um, when I started writing, I was also I don't know why, but I guess I wasn't technically inclined. And so I started using the online editor, um, which, I mean, if anybody's going to be listening to this and wanting to write a book, I, I would say rec I would recommend take the hour, take the two hours, get familiar with Markdown, get familiar with linking up with GitHub. Uh, actually, I use Bitbucket, so not GitHub. Because I don't think you guys, you guys may or may not connect with GitHub. doesn't we, matter. We do, but, we do, but it's not okay. free for private repositories, and Bitbucket is. Yeah, yeah. that's so I would say get a repo set up, get familiar with Markdown, and do it that way because it is so much easier. It's so convenient. Um, with me, I can, with the laptop having access to the repo, you know, I can go to the coffee shop, pump out a chapter, um, push it to the repo, and then the, the preview is automatically done. And I can see what it looks like in the PDF, in the EPUB. Um, so, yeah, that would be my advice. Uh, and it was the same thing with the, the translators. Um, Eugene had experience with it, but the the author doing the, the Russian or sorry the Arabic version, um, he was asking me if he could do it in, in Dropbox, and I, I was fine with that. I was open to it, but um, when you're when you're doing translations, at least for Eugene and I, uh, him more so, when you can grab the repo and you can check the changes between what you've done the last time or what what's happened in a quick version uh, check through Git. Um, I, I think it just makes things so much easier. Obviously, you can do that with kind of you know Word and all the rest of that kind of stuff, but 
if you're a developer and you have experience developing, I just find it easier to, to do it from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. Um, it's interesting, the challenge of um, translating an in progress living book. Um, how do you deal with that? So do you write something, um, publish the new version of the English book and then pass on that change to your translators? Yeah. So they have read access to the repo for the English version. And then they obviously have right access to the translated version. And so, yeah, we just, I mean, they're I'm pretty sure they're both customers, um, but they, I mean, they can pull the changes from the English version, uh, read them and then uh, check that, check the version history and then do whatever they need to translate, make it to the, their specific repo and then push those changes up. Is there anything around community that you wish we had built that we have not that you can think of? That's, that's a good question. Um, it would be kind of cool to reach out to other authors. Um, recently I've reached out, um, and man, the, the, the rails developer and the name escapes me now, of course, but, um, uh, he, it was his book that introduced me. It's on multi-tenancy rails. Ryan. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so, Ryan's book introduced me to LeanPub. I think it was the first book. might be the only book that I purchased off of LeanPub. Um, and so uh, I had reached out to him on Twitter because there, there, somebody was talking a feed about um, e-publishing versus uh, physical publishing. And there was kind of a you know, conversation going on around there. And there were some big names that were actually responding to that. Um, and so it, it was cool to see that communication going on. Um, but that was just on Twitter. So if there was some something along that that would kind of bring the community together, I think that would be pretty valuable. Here, what's worked for other people, what hasn't. Um, even in terms of, like, if you're doing self-publishing, you obviously don't have a big marketing budget, or I wouldn't assume you did. Um, so it would just be cool to hear kind of what worked and what didn't for other authors. That's really interesting that you say that. Thanks. Um, uh, actually, uh, we were talking internally about something along those lines just recently. Um, and it's very early stage, just, you know, ideas right now. Um, but one of the things we were thinking of was how can we help get, how can we help get authors who have succeeded at self-publishing together with each other so that they can exchange their sort of war stories and strategies. And, um, the, the thing that we're working through that's difficult is like, you know, we're nice guys, right? And so the idea of making a kind of exclusive club, is something yeah. that we want, we would want to manage very carefully. But at the same time, like if you can have a group where you can go, where, you know, everybody there is like working hard and good at what they're doing and not just dropping in, you know, sort of like without any real commitment to the process and just kind of asking, you know, it looks the classic forum problem. Right. Um, so yeah, thanks for that. That's something we're going to think hard about because we, we, we were wondering if there wasn't a desire out there for authors who, you know, I mean, you've got 420 readers for your book right now, which is really good. You've got two translations. Like that's somebody who, you know, we can see from our end, that's definitely somebody who's taking it seriously. Mm -hmm. and, um, mm -hmm. and we were, we were thinking of some way of helping people um, get together around that. So this will give us, this will uh, give us some extra impetus to go ahead and see what we can figure out about that. Um, uh, just before we go, um, I was wondering if you had any questions you wanted to ask, ask me. Hmm. Oh, that's, 
Um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot. Okay. Um, I can't think of the developer's name, but when you so you asked me about um, hacking on sites that don't necessarily let you hack on them, um, and so I this is completely unrelated to I guess the platform whatsoever. But I had decided to take a look at LeanPub to see how stable it was if I was going to be selling my book on there. Uh, and I noticed a couple of vulnerabilities. And Pete had emailed me back and said that they, the fixes were supposed to be pushed. But I don't know if they ever did. And I haven't gone back to test them. We, so are, I was curious. we, are, we are working on them right now. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, thank you very much for the help. <laughs> we really appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, um, thanks very much, uh, Pete, for taking the time to do this. I had a great time chatting. Um, and uh, thanks for being a Lean Pub author. Good luck with your book. And if you ever have any questions, please just reach out and uh, let us know. That's awesome. I really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Uh, the feeling's definitely mutual. It was awesome to chat. Okay, thanks.